Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You're a 415. You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415. Hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the 415ers podcast. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy with you as always, three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Download, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Five stars. I've seen, actually, Mark, we have only had five-star reviews so far. Grandy, hey. a small sample size, but early returns positive for the 415ers. So help us get those numbers up. We do not want to be talking about a small sample size. We want a giant sample size, and we can confirm that the people love the 415ers. Yeah, by small sample size, I mean 6 million, but I didn't really (laughs) want to throw that number out there unless I had to, you know what I'm saying? And you had to, I guess, huh? I am on social media at egettings10. That is Mark Grandy. You can find him on social media at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. And it is a football Friday, a preview show for the 49ers week five matchup against the Carolina Panthers. They go to Charlotte and they are two and two now after the Monday night football win against the Los Angeles Rams. The Panthers are one and three before we get deep into the game and into the, you know, kind of the matchups and, and some of the numbers that we're looking at that could dictate this game for the 49ers. To me, this one of the big questions that I sort of had throughout this week, and it's just you know, sort of been sitting there is like, as far as this team is concerned now, we've identified the equation, the winning equation for the 49ers. We've talked about where they need to go, potentially what their ceiling could be both offensively and defensively and how they can rise to another level. Should they get some of their injured players back off of the injured list? But pretty much what I'm thinking, Mark, is like, you know, what are you looking forward to with this team right now? Or what are you looking forward to watching? Because, and maybe it's not even this Sunday against the Panthers, but just in general, like, you know, is is it the group? Is it the defensive group? Is it an individual on that side of the ball? Is it the offense? You know, Is it the running game? Is it kind of the, the blocking, the offensive line up front and a, and a play like you broke down so beautifully on our last episode um, as far as the, you know, the Niners' creativity and imagination in the running game? Uh, is it the coaching? I mean, there's a lot to like about this team, but I think what's difficult for fans is that there isn't necessarily one person that sort of stands out above the rest, especially on the 
side of the ball that is supposed to be the flashy side, which is the offense. So, you know, they don't have a Josh Allen. They don't have a Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they do have a Debo Samuel, but Debo Samuel even sometimes doesn't get the ball as much and doesn't make those game-breaking plays like he did on Monday Night Football all the time. So I'm just curious, if so we can start right there, like what are you looking forward to watching on this 49ers team? It's an interesting question because I feel like this 49ers team kind of bucks the trend in the NFL where you're, you know, every team wants to see their offense play well. What sells the tickets? It's the star quarterbacks. It's the Mahomes and, and Josh Allens and, and Justin Herberts, that, that tier of quarterbacks, the guys that you talked about. And the 49ers simply do not have that guy. Maybe Trey Lance was going to be that guy. You can make the case that Jimmy Garoppolo was that guy, you know, a number of years ago when he came in in 2017 and a team that was destined for a top five, maybe even the first overall pick. And suddenly they rattled off a bunch of wins in a row to close the season. Suddenly he became box office, but he's not that way anymore. So this question of like, what are 49er fans looking forward to? Obviously you're excited for the game. I mean, it's, it's football. Everyone loves football. You love to watch your favorite team play. But in terms of like in the in the moment, in the game, what like are you looking forward to seeing? What are you unable to take your eyes off of? And, you know, this might be a relatively easy one, Evan, and I, I might be, you know, stealing a bit of your thunder here. I'm not sure. But for me, it's Nick Bosa. I mean, when the defense is out there, one, you know, that's the dominant side of the ball for the 49ers. But specifically with Nick Bosa, I just cannot take my eyes off him when he's on the field. I mean, he was incredible as a rookie, helped lead this team all the way to a Super Bowl, and they almost won it. He then, of course, suffered a torn ACL early in his second year in the league. He came back last year and was really good. I thought he was deserving of some defensive player of the year votes. He was not near winning that award. But, you know, all the medical experts, all the doctors say, you know, a year removed, really two years now, but a year removed from being back after a torn ACL two years after the torn ACL occurred is kind of when you see, you know, the athlete get really back and then start to get better from where they were at the time that the ACL was injured. And I think you look at the early returns through four weeks, just under a quarter of the season, Evan, I think you can see that Nick Bosa is getting better. I mean, you look at some of the numbers, he leads the NFL in quarterback hits he leads the NFL in sacks. He's leading the NFL in in you know pressures and in hurries. He is all over the place. He's beating uh, you know offensive linemen in a number of different ways. Normally with Nick Bosa, you see kind of the speed rush where he just runs around. He has that elite bendability where he can kind of get low to the ground and and get beneath the block of of an offensive lineman. There were times in that Rams game on Monday night where he simply just bulldozed through offensive linemen, pushed them into Matthew Stafford, and brought him down all in one motion. He is continuing to get better. You pair that with the rest of this elite defensive line, and my goodness, uh, Nick Bosa is worth the price of admission, and uh, he is certainly deserving of all the praise headed his way. And if he keeps up you know, anything close to this pace, he will be the defensive player of the year. There's there's no doubt about it. He has been phenomenal. And for me, I think that might that might be the one individual that I am most looking forward to watching going into this game, especially considering the matchup. It's probably going to be, you know, a low uh, number of points put up by Carolina this week. I know we'll get to predictions later towards the end, uh, but I think Nick Bosa can have a really, really, really 
big day on Sunday. No, I'm right there with you. Just look at his numbers. And if you extrapolate that over a <laughs> 17 game season, like he's on pace to break the all time sack record in a single season. <laughs> uh, he's on pace to, to break his own career high in terms of tackles for loss. He led the league with 21 last year. He'd be on pace for near 40. Uh, you know, he's he's got the most hits. He He's a pressure monster. Like, you just can't keep him out of the backfield. And I also don't think it's necessarily cheap to say that you're watching Nick Bosa because unlike a lot of members in the defense, if you actually, you know, are watching on a TV screen, he's always near the ball. So he is also literally yeah. going to be on the screen for a lot of the time. So if you do want to watch, you know, a cornerback or Fred Warner or even Talano Hufanga, there are going to be some plays where they are literally just not on your screen. Whereas Nick Bosa is near the line of scrimmage. He's got his hands in the dirt. He's standing up. He's stunning. He's blitzing. He's doing whatever they need him to do to get to the football. And he's always seems to be around it. So no, I, I definitely think that is someone um, that isn't necessarily easy to pick from he is the most exciting player defensively to me in football right now. I know that earlier this week um, on 95-7, the game, Ross Tucker on Signing Guru mentioned that Micah Parsons is in the same class as Nick Bosa, might even be a little bit better when it comes to pass rushing, just because he's, I think, a bit quicker. He runs like a 4-3 as opposed to Bosa runs a you know 4-5, but like to me, I, I don't know if I could say that Micah Parsons is better than Nick Bosa, because I've seen Nick Bosa do it. He, he whips tackles. He whips guards. He, it doesn't matter where you put him. He can get to the quarterback at will as well as a ball carrier. So I think for me, what I'm looking for, and partially because you went defense, but I also, to me, just as a fan, like I want to see offense. I want to see points put up and I want to see explosiveness. This and, might be the wrong game for you then. It might be. It might be the wrong team for me, if we're being honest. <laughs> but that's why, and sort of alluded to him a little bit, but it's got to be Debo Samuel. It's got to be, to me, the most imaginative, creative, perhaps, you know, my player Madden type video game guy on the field in football right now because he plays all over the field. He'll play in the slot. He'll play in the outside. He'll obviously play in the backfield. He'll get handoffs. But when he gets the football, it's like he doesn't even know what he's going to do with it. And I know that Damon Ratto, your show that you work on, talked to him earlier this week on 95.7 The Game. And it, it, was, it was interesting hearing him talk about himself. Now, I know that players can't necessarily reveal all of their, their strengths and their weaknesses and go deep in depth. But like sometimes I feel like Debo just surprises himself because the way that he was talking about his ability was, hey, man, I just see the ball. I go make a play. And what happens next is not really on me. Like I just, he, it's almost like he blacks out when he gets the football and he can catch it. He can run with it. He isn't necessarily a precise route runner, but he always finds it. Like they always find ways to get him the football and then you don't know what's going to happen. So for me, Debo, at least right now, I know he's actually on pace to have more touches than he did a season ago. I know it's sort of difficult to, Hey, Debo, you got to go put up 1,700 scrimmage yards and get 18 touchdowns like you did a season ago. But to be a guy on offense that in many ways is almost mo more important than the quarterback and with no clear RB1 for the Niners with Elijah Mitchell being out, Jeff Wilson Jr. stepping into that role, but not really knowing what his workload is going to be week to week, getting some running backs back in the near future. Debo Samuel is the main constant to me on offense, and he is the guy that I am looking forward to if we're going with individuals.
The other thing that that Debo Samuel mentioned in that, in that interview you mentioned with uh, Damon and Rado on 95.7 The Game, you know, he was asked, like, is is defense are defenses playing you any different? You had this breakout year last year and, uh, you know, you, you kind of revolutionize, you know, offense a little bit in the sense that, you know, wide receivers carrying the ball and, you know, you were, you know, at the forefront of that. Has there been an adjustment to you rather than, you know, more so than just being aware that it's probably coming, but is there any like schematic change? And he was like, no, there, there's, there's not really a change. And, and he said, I mean, honestly, what can defenses really do? I mean, I'm unique. I'm one of one. No one else that's that carries the ball has my mentality, has my willingness to seek out contact, has my ability to break tackles and make cuts and and leave defenders in the dust. Uh, he's certainly not shy about, you know, talking himself up and, you know, his play backs it up. I thought that was, you know, supremely interesting. And I agree with you on the offensive side. He's the guy that uh, catches my eye. And I think he probably catches the eye of, of every football fan when they're watching a 49ers game. So that's certainly uh, a good one. Uh, but I don't know his comment of saying, you know, they haven't changed because I don't know what can you do to stop me? Like that just, it, it just struck me. It's, I, I don't think I've ever heard a professional athlete, especially like a wide receiver ball carrier like that in the NFL say, I'm, they're not going to change because what more could they possibly be doing to try to stop me? I, I you can't stop me. It's, it's impossible. Well, it, I'm sure he feels that way. Everyone's got to have confidence when you're on the field, right? But I do think it is also accurate in the sense that because he is so creative and the ways that they use him are are almost impromptu sometimes, Like it's very difficult to game plan for him because you don't know what he's going to do. And you don't know as a defense, one, how he's going to be used, Two, where he's going to go when he gets the football, because as we saw on Monday Night Football, like he is the yak king. Like this guy, when he has the football in his hands, a yard behind the line of scrimmage, 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Could take it to the house. He could go five yards. He could make a move. You always have to be wary of where he's at and keep him in front, which is a difficult thing to do. And also, I, I think that defenses, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but defenses, I think we're keying on him more as a running back. And this is where, to me, I think we're getting to see a little more of Debo at the wide receiver because, look, last year he was he was awesome in the backfield. I think he, you know, looking at his numbers, 360-odd yards, eight touchdowns on the ground. Um, but he picked up, a, like, 1,400 yards through the air is nothing to scoff at. But because of how dynamic he was in the running game, I think we kind of forgot a little bit just how good he is as a wide receiver. And we saw that on Monday Night Football. We've seen that throughout the first four games this season. Granted, Trey Lance and then to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think we'll see that more moving forward as Jimmy G gets a little more comfortable. And once Debo, you know, kind of revert reverts back to the 2021 more receiver that he was rather than the running back, I don't think it's crazy to, to say that defenses can't stop me because it's like he doesn't know how he's going to be used on a week-by-week basis. He doesn't know what he's going to do on a play-by-play basis. So I can see why a defense would feel the exact same way and say, hey, look, we're just going to play in the same way as last year, and hopefully he doesn't kill us. Yeah, we'll, we'll cross our fingers and hope it doesn't come back to bite us. I think that's a good point. I, you know, maybe the the other angle, I think you, you're kind of you know touching on this a little bit, 
is obviously I'm interested in, in what Debo does every game, but it's how does Kyle Shanahan continue kind of pushing the envelope and evolving how he gets Debo Samuel involved. I think to this point, you know, it's been relatively similar to last year. I mean, we, we, talked about you know kind of how him in the run game has gotten kind of stale he hasn't had much success besides that that uh one big one that he broke in the run game i believe that was against uh the seahawks in in week two if i'm not mistaken he had like a 50 yard run yeah it was week two against the seahawks besides that he hasn't had much success on the ground you know as a ball carrier he has had some in, in catch and run of course that last game uh at home against the rams but it's how does Kyle Shanahan try to continue to get him the ball in space and get him open? Is it more of the same from last year? Or do you try to get more creative in the short pass game and try to scheme him into some uh, openings there? Is it get more creative in the run game? We talked about that the uh, 32-yard touchdown run by Jeff Wilson Jr. on our previous episode. That was just perfect execution by the 49ers. Credit to the offensive line, the tight ends, everyone for pulling it off. But that was just straight genius from the mind of Kyle Shanahan with the the motion from the wing, George Kittle into the wham block on a toss to the left. You don't see that in the NFL. Is there more uh, options to get Debo Samuel the ball similar to that where you see kind of an evolution in, in Kyle Shanahan's run game offense? That's also something I think to keep an eye on, not only in this game, but but as the season moves along because you're going to have to get creative with how you're, you know, getting the ball to Debo Samuel, because despite what he says, there will be defenses trying different things to slow him down. Yeah, well, you can keep your eyes and ears on the 415ers podcast three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you as always. Five stars only acceptable when you download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Well, and, and so this is the thing, because with Debo, obviously someone's got to get him the football whether it's running and especially I think moving forward this year, I I do think they're going to be using him prim- primarily as a wide receiver. Um, things have gotten a little stale in the running game when he's back there, but Jimmy Garoppolo is the one that's going to have to pass him the ball if they are going to use him as a wide receiver. And something that Jimmy G said early, earlier this week in a press conference of his that kind of caught my eye, you know, obviously the Niners are going to Carolina Jimmy Garoppolo was at least expected after the end of last season to be a guy on the trade market. And the Carolina Panthers were a team that was floated as being a potential trade partner. There was other teams, but Carolina, according to Jimmy Garoppolo, was, quote, at the top of the list or, you know, in that top group of teams that were in advanced talks with, he said, the 49ers and him, I'm assuming with his agent. But, you know, I, I can't help but think like even though Niners are two and two, granted, I, I think their point differential and the way they played, especially in the last, you know, the last game on Monday night says they they could be better. They could be four and oh, they could be three and one, but they're not. They're five hundred. Carolina, meanwhile, is about as bad a one and three team as you could put on put on paper. Um what would Carolina look like and what would the 49ers look like if Jimmy Garoppolo was wearing that Panther blue, if he was over in Charlotte? Like that's something that it's just a hypothetical that I was thinking about, but you know, Jimmy Garoppolo on that team instead of Baker Mayfield, they make the choice to trade with Cleveland instead of potentially trading with San Francisco. And after that happened, I don't know about you, Mark. I felt like that was one of the sort of the final straws, you know, as far as where Jimmy G could or couldn't go 
Um, Pittsburgh was up there, obviously. Cleveland, and once Baker left, and went to Carolina. But I thought the Panthers would be a nice fit as a team sort of in a transitionary period and not really knowing whether you want to rebuild or compete or what you want to do. So that also leaves the 49ers in our hypothetical scenario without a backup quarterback able to step into the position of Trey Lance, who unfortunately got hurt in week two. So it, it's so weird. Like, you know, if Jimmy G's in Carolina, I don't know if the Panthers are necessarily headed for the playoffs like the San Francisco 49ers currently are to me, but it absolutely changes everything. And I think the Panthers are in a much better place. And the 49ers clearly, well, we don't know what Brock Purdy could be, but I, I got to assume that they end up being in a much worse place if Jimmy G's on the East Coast. Well, Niners would certainly be in a worse place. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy, by all accounts, has looked good, but he's Mr. Irrelevant and just drafted. I mean, it would be a shock if he's anywhere near the level of Jimmy Garoppolo right now. So I think we can safely say, assuming that the Trey Lance injury still happens, I think maybe there's a world in which Jimmy Garoppolo is not on this roster and Kyle Shanahan maybe is a little more conservative in terms of putting his quarterback, Trey Lance, in risk because he knows he doesn't have as much depth, but that's probably a conversation for later. For Carolina, however, they would certainly be better. I, I don't think anyone is disputing uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo versus Baker Mayfield. Uh, we've had a number of years of data now uh, where Baker Mayfield – just simply is not very good there. I think there was an argument early in Baker's career when he was pretty electric and that Browns offense was playing pretty good. And, and Baker Mayfield was exciting and the Browns finally thought they had something, but that argument and that moment is long gone. However, I'm just not sure I am that much of a believer in Carolina or, you know, in everything else around Baker Mayfield. Uh, I mean, the offensive line is not good. They do have some good receivers. I love DJ Moore. I think he's incredible. And the fact that he is almost irrelevant in the season so far is sad because he Yeah, I was going to say Baker Mayfield doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's Baker Mayfield's fault that he can't get (laughs) DJ Moore the ball. I mean, that is a travesty. But, you know, I guess it's a long way of saying I'm not sure how much of a difference Jimmy Garoppolo makes. I'm kind of of the mind that, you know, maybe, you know, there are certain coaches that can help make Jimmy Garoppolo work, but I think there's no one better suited to make Jimmy Garoppolo work than Kyle Shanahan. And I'm not sure we, and even with Kyle Shanahan, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo's deficiencies. So I have no belief that Matt Rule would be able to have success with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, would this team maybe be two and two at this point instead of one and three, the Carolina Panthers, that is maybe, maybe Garoppolo is worth a few more points in one of their close losses, but, uh, I think largely this would be the same conversation for Carolina. Uh, Matt Rule is probably still on the hot seat and maybe a couple of weeks away from potentially being the first uh, head coach fired in the NFL this season. Um, I, I'm not sure Garoppolo makes that much of a difference for Carolina. I just I just don't believe in them enough around Garoppolo, and I certainly don't believe uh, in their head coach. Well, so it sounds like then – it's kind of, it would be like a similar situation to if Jimmy G, because the other place I think late, uh, kind of before the preseason started was, all right, could Jimmy G go to Seattle? I know that was another destination that was sort of floated. Another team with, we don't really know what's going on with the Seahawks. I know now they figured out their quarterback situation, kind of, uh, with Geno Smith. Geno Smith for MVP? <laughs> Well, uh, maybe after week one, it looked pretty good against the Denver Broncos. Hey, he was great against the Detroit Lions in week four. Come on. 
That that's true. Yeah, against the uh, the the heavily defended uh, Jared Goff-led Detroit Lions. <laughs> yeah, they they really have a deep. I I think actually it's funny you mentioned that. I think it was in Hard Knocks this year, but like Dan Campbell, uh, head coach for the Lions, was you know sort of talking about how the team had improved and what they got going for them. And he mentioned there was some line he had like, Oh boys, I'm glad we finally got a defense this year. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched Geno Smith just absolutely light them up and th- nearly hang 50 on the line. So it's like, all right. I mean, yeah, sure. G- Geno Smith, he, I'll, I'll give him his flowers. He, he had a good weekend, Mark. I'll give you that. He's he's had a I mean all things considered a pretty good four weeks. He was he obviously you know didn't do a single thing against the Niners in week two. Uh, Seahawks surprising offense though honestly in my mind I still don't believe in them uh, you know moving forward. I'm sure Geno Smith will uh, regress back to the mean, but I just I had to throw that out there. He you look at some of the advanced metrics right now. He is up there with some of the the other top quarterbacks in the NFL. It's it's pretty wild. That's why, you know, four weeks in, small sample size, take everything with a grain of salt because Geno Smith is up near the league leaders in a lot of, you know, quarterback categories. It helps to have weapons, man. I mean, even though Seattle maybe doesn't have a ton going for them outside, it's still, still got DK Metcalf, uh, at least when he's on the field, not getting carted off because he's got to go number two. <laughs> and you also got Tyler Lockett out there. Rashad Penny's not a half bad back. Yeah, it's kind of it's almost similar to to Jerry. I don't mean to go too far off on a tangent, but like, you know, similar to Jerry Goff, like he's he's got some weapons now. And when you are a halfway decent quarterback with weapons, you can do some things. I also think that's why a lot of people continue to be sort of disappointed in someone like Jimmy Garoppolo is because we all do believe in the 49ers weaponry offensively. And look, we're we're still waiting for the George Kittle game. Um I think that one probably is a bit more on Shanahan considering just the lack of, of usage in the passing game. Uh, although, if, look, if, if he keeps, you know, an extra foot in bounds, maybe as a touchdown, um, I don't know if Jimmy G is a little bit better for him, looking for him, who knows what his numbers could be like right now. Uh, but that's also a big thing too. And, and going back to Debo, that's also one of the reasons why I am looking at him is because he appears to be kind of the the de facto option offensively Look, I think the targets on Monday Night Football were four for IU, four for Kittle, and I forget where the other four went, but Debo had the most and definitely did the most with his opportunities. Uh, Juwan Jennings what, was the other. Juwan Jennings. Thank you. Appreciate that. And But but that's the thing, too. It's like, okay, well, you know, if Jimmy's getting 25 passes a game, and, and I don't think he should be throwing more, if anything, maybe less, but how are you going to distribute those targets? And to me, the majority of them got to go to a guy like Debo, even though... I think we all believe George Kittle deserves some recognition as a top tight end. Yeah. I mean, last week, you know, on the podcast, I, I was, you know, thinking George Kittle was going to have his breakout game against, uh, against the Rams on Monday night. It, it obviously didn't happen. He almost had that touchdown. Like you mentioned. Um, I, I still would, you know, hold that. I think this offense needs him involved more uh, I, I think, you know, it's it's relatively easy to to think about how dominant that win was over the Rams and be like, all right, you know, the offense is is back together. You know, they're, they're feeling good. They're feeling better. This is, you know, kind of the jumping off point. But it, it, you also have to, you know, take that game in context and realize that the offense did not need to do much to to win that game. I mean, the defense scored seven points. The defense only allowed nine points. So the offense needed three points to win. And, you know, they managed to get that and more obviously, but 
It was a huge improvement, but it was also a very, very, very low bar to clear from the previous week in Denver. So while it was certainly a step in the right direction, it's not like this Niners offense has, you know, suddenly reached their final form. Like there are still ways to improve. And I think the biggest one is George Kittle in the passing game. And we know, and we talked about it a lot, how good he is, you know, as a run blocker and, and, you know, he's going to, you know, lead you to a few extra yards every play because of how ferocious he is, you know, blocking defensive ends, linebackers, blitzing corners, whatever, whatever the situation is. He's great at that, but he's also an elite pass catcher. And I think if the 49ers have, you know, dreams of, winning the NFC West of, you know, winning a couple of postseason games, potentially competing for an NFC title and, you know, perhaps a Super Bowl. I think George Kittle has to be involved more. And you look at the numbers now over the last, what, eight or nine games dating back to last year, including the postseason, they're bad. And it's it's not, you know, to blame Kittle. It's not like he's had a bunch of drops. It, you know, it's just simply he's not being targeted. Um, I, I think, you know, and I was wrong on this last week, but I think, you know, as, as we move another, you know, couple of weeks into the season, as as Jimmy Garoppolo gets more comfortable, I mean, he's been saying, I didn't really have a training camp. This is kind of my preseason. I'm I'm getting up to speed. I'm getting back. We know he he likes targeting George Kittle. I think the targets will come, and, and we'll see him involved more in the passing game. And I think the Niners need that to happen, because if not, I mean, I, I wouldn't say the offense becomes one-dimensional, uh, you know, when you have Debo and, and his, you know, electricity, any, you know, in the passing game or the rushing game, uh, you're going to be mixing things up somewhat. But uh, if they do not get George Kittle involved more, it, it becomes that much easier for opposing defenses. So I'm sure it's on Kyle Shanahan's mind. You know, I'm sure him and Jimmy are talking about it. You know, why aren't we getting the ball to George Kittle more? Is it something that, you know, I should be doing when I'm, you know, designing these plays when I'm calling them for you? Or is it just some simply some kind of misconnect between you two? Because um, I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan is aware of it and is is trying to get it working. Because if not, I think this offense is seriously capped and how much more they can improve. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. This is the 415ers podcast coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you as always. Five stars necessary. Um, well, you kind of got me thinking now about the offense because... Look, my my favorite player to watch is Debo. I'm sure a lot of people's is on offense. Um, George Kittle, I think we can both agree, needs to be used more. But the guy that sort of gets left out in all of this to to me is is then Brandon Ayuk because right now he's he's on pace for like 750 yards this season over 17 games, and he hasn't really gotten an opportunity to think to to flex the way people projected him to in the preseason, a lot of that I believe has to do with his relationship with Trey Lance and that not necessarily being available now because of Trey Lance's absence. But Ayuk is to me, a fantastic possession receiver. He's a guy that can get open on third down, but it almost seems like a lot of the looks that Jimmy Garoppolo has on third. We've seen him go to Jawan Jennings more than we we've seen him go to Brandon Ayuk in some of those big spots. So I'm just curious, like, when do we see the Brandon Ayuk game? Or when do we see him begin to break out? When do we see him begin to, you know, flex and demonstrate, like, show those skills that we know are there and that we've seen 
in flashes, granted, throughout his first couple of seasons, like I think that can also help as you were talking about, you know, potential cap for this offense to me as a second or third wide receiving option for Jimmy Garoppolo and for the Niners, Brandon Ayuk absolutely needs to be involved more as well as Kittle. And I know the math doesn't always break down their way in each individual game, but against a defense like Carolina, which is look pretty porous. I mean, you could take advantage of a lot of guys on their, on their defense and in their secondary, like, I'm also looking for Brandon Ayuk to get the ball a lot more. I'd agree. I I think he certainly deserves it, and he's capable. Um, you know, I've long time been a believer in Brandon Ayuk's abilities, and I think you know eventually he's going to be putting up those kinds of numbers that you know deserve respect as you know one of the better receivers in football. However, I am just you know what you mentioned the math of this offense. I'm not really sure it will. We will get to a point this season in which there are simply enough opportunities for him to be putting up, you know, a thousand plus yard seasons. I, I I do not think that that is, you know, possible this year for Brandon Ayuk, because you, you look at how this team is going to win football games. And I think we both agree that, you know, they're going to win more than they lose. It is because the defense will be so dominant that opponents will not score that often. And it's because the 49ers will be able to scheme up enough uh, success in the run game to keep their offense on the field and put up just enough points that they win those games. Uh, and with, you know, targets like Debo Samuel, and as we were talking about George Kittle, who I think, think will be getting more looks sooner rather than later, I'm just not sure that there is enough to go around right now in the offense because of Jimmy Garoppolo's limitations, because of the fact that Kyle Shanahan will tend to be conservative, you know, when he's play calling on offense, knowing that he has a fantastic defense on the other side. I simply just don't see it happening for Brandon Ayuk this year, uh, but I think it will happen eventually, and um, the 49ers better hope it happens with them because I'm still a big believer in his ability, but I'm just not sure the opportunities will match his ability and maybe what he deserves to see on the offensive side this year. Sure, I'm totally with you there, and I I just feel like you know Ayuk could be a guy potentially in a playoff game that – you know, if you're going up against a team with a great defense, they could try and take away Samuel. They could try and take away Kittle. You know, he might need to be a guy that could have a big game in a big spot. And if you're not really getting him the work in the regular season, you know, I, I think it'd be unfair to expect him to then step up in a big spot when you need him to. Just, just some food for thought. And I'm kind of dancing around the the big question for the offense. I think is going to be how many points they put up on a week by week basis. But let's face it this Sunday, they are in an advantageous position when it comes to the Carolina Panthers, oh, yeah. not only because the defense is not great, but because the offense is absolutely inept and the San Francisco 49ers, I believe will have the ball for the majority of the game. And this leads us to our, our pretty big question of, of the show. Um, the reason why I've had my feet kicked up the entire time is because I'm really not concerned about this game this weekend. I think the 49ers should walk into Charlotte and they should, they should kick the Panthers ass. I mean, that's pretty much what should happen this weekend. They're six and a half point favorites. Um, they're coming off a huge win against the Rams. They are making their first trip to the East coast in an Eastern time zone, but it's a, it's a one o'clock or four o'clock, Eastern kick one o'clock local time here on the West coast. My question mark is how ugly could Sunday get for the Panthers and how beautiful potentially could Sunday look for the 49ers? Because look, they're back on track. They're right where they need to be. 
And I almost expect them to keep the ball rolling. And it, I mean, Carolina is a team that you can beat in so many different ways that I don't know if it'll be an absolute cakewalk. They might have some ups and downs. And look, we've talked about the second half conservatism of Kyle Shanahan, but like if I absolutely expect to win and I kind of expect it handedly. Uh, Yes, I'm with you Uh, to answer your question. Sunday will be very, very ugly for the Carolina Panthers. They will not score a touchdown on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers. That's that's mm. my prediction for this game. They're off on offense. <laughs> yeah, maybe a, maybe a special teams or a defensive <laughs> touchdown. Yes, their offense is just pitiful. There's no other way to put it. Uh, 30th in passing offense per game, 166 yards there. Uh, the 49ers passing defense, second best in the NFL, 161 uh, and you know 0.3 per game there. Uh, total offense for Carolina, 262.3 yards. That is dead last in the NFL. 49ers, total defense. Guess what? They're tied for first with the Buffalo Bills, allowing just over 234 yards per game. Uh, you look at possession average, a number that the Niners generally dominate. And when they do dominate, they win and they win big. The Panthers average, you know, about 24 minutes of possession per game. That is dead last in the NFL. The San Francisco 49ers, uh, middle of the pack right now, but there's been a couple of weird games that have kind of changed those numbers around. Everything that we have seen through four weeks, and I literally mean everything, shows you and is telling you the Panthers will be inept offensively in this game on Sunday. They'll be lucky to get in double digits offensively in this game. Their offense will be lucky to get in the end zone. It will take a superhuman Christian McCaffrey, which we have seen before. It is possible we see it again, but it will take a superhuman Christian McCaffrey for this offense to score a touchdown against the San Francisco 49ers. It is going to be ugly, ugly, ugly for Carolina. Niner fans are going to absolutely love it because their defense is going to shine, excuse me, shine bright once again. Uh, But for Carolina, it will not be good, and it might be uh, maybe the final nail in Matt Rule's coffin because he is on his way out. There's no hiding it, and the 49ers have a chance to officially you know, put a final stamp on this one and end things for him in Carolina. It, it's not going to be fun for Panthers fans in Charlotte. I'm with you. I think things get ugly for the Carolina Panthers, and the reason being, as much as we like to – you know, talk about the limitations of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know we've thrown around the theoretical, you know, what if he was in Carolina? What if he wasn't here? Um, whatever side of the argument you fall on doesn't, doesn't really matter at this point because of how freaking bad Baker Mayfield <laughs> has been this season. My God, he, he might be the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. And statistically I have one number that backs that up his 15.3 total QBR through four games since the inception of the stat in 2006 is the second worst ever. (laughs) 15.3. Horrible. I don't know. Probably Jamarcus (laughs) Russell. I I, I have zero clue. I have zero clue who the worst quarterback is of all time. I know that Baker Mayfield is number two all time through four games in that number. He is completing 55% of his passes and the offense for Carolina. The other thing too, they don't convert third downs. I believe they're last in the NFL as far as con- uh, third down conversions. 
The Niners, meanwhile, on defense are number one at getting teams off the field on third down. And they're excellent. Like they've allowed, I think it's either two or three touchdowns via the pass. And Baker Mayfield's not going to change that. Like he is horrible. And as much as we talk about how, again, Jimmy G is this, Jimmy G is that. Watch on Sunday what a really bad quarterback looks like and then be thankful for the one, the mediocre quarterback that you do have because it could be it could be 50,000 leagues below the sea worse than Jimmy Garoppolo, and his name is Baker Mayfield. That's fair. It's a very good point. Uh, 49ers, just be thankful that you, you do have Jimmy Garoppolo, even though it's frustrating at times. He may make you want to pull out your hair at times. Uh, it can be worse. Uh, I mean, just think back to, you know, some of the, the post Jeff Garcia days. If, if you're a 49er fan, um, you know, it was it was bad. Jimmy Garoppolo is is not great, but he's he's certainly not bad and not as bad as as Baker Mayfield either. No, no and it's, it's not an excuse for Jimmy playing terribly like he did against Denver. I'm just saying, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying appreciate the 16th best quarterback. I'm just saying appreciate the fact that you don't have the 32nd. <laughs> best quarterback you don't have to be happy with who you have (laughs) just be happy that you don't have you know someone worse yeah Yeah, like when 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 christmas comes around and you roll up under the tree like you may not get your favorite present but just be happy you don't get coal like that's that's pretty much where we're at good point i mean and you you look at this game and you know what's maybe you know considering how bad this carolina team is on offense you know what's the target niner score x amount of points what guarantees a win uh, well, there Ooh, is one seven? specific, <laughs> it might be enough, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we'll get to predictions in a little bit, but I, I, I kind of maybe gave a hint on, on where I'm going. I mean, I don't think Carolina is getting in double digits in this game. So, um, uh, maybe get to 10, that's enough, but there's a specific stat, uh, that's kind of been floating around Twitter that I saw, uh, Matt rule head coach of the Carolina Panthers in his third year, he is one and 27. When opponents score 17 or more points against the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule, I'll, I'll repeat it because it's it's a doozy. When opponents score 17 or more points, that's not a big amount of points. 17 or more points against the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule and the Panthers are one and 27. If you score 17 points, Jimmy Garoppolo, you will win this game. I promise you. So go out and do it, and you'll improve to three and two. That might be the first time this year that you've addressed the offense with Jimmy Garoppolo first, Mark. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, this isn't this is We're isn't making a, progress. A, this isn't a difficult bar to clear. Score 17 points, your defense might score seven of them for you. Just go out and get the rest, and, and you will win this game in Carolina. Well, do you know what the 49ers are averaging points-wise on offense this year, Mark? Uh, just to tick over 17, if I'm not mistaken. 17.8. So that almost <laughs> guarantees victory for the Niners. If they just play average... They will win the game on Sunday, uh, which which takes us to. All right, let's do it. Predictions for this Sunday. Um, 49ers, again, they are six and a half point favorites as we record the podcast. It's coming out Friday morning over under right now at 39. As as you told me before the pod, Mark, this is the lowest total of any game this weekend. And perhaps understandably so for the reasons reasons that we laid out. Carolina's offense is horrific. The 49ers are just about average, if uh, not below average as far as points are concerned. So this is going to be a low-scoring game, but one that, again, the Niners should dominate against the Carolina Panthers. And I, do, you know what? I, I love that magic number 17, 
And so I'm going to say that the 49ers win this game on Sunday 17 to 6. I think that's going to be the final score. Yep. All right. They're going to get a uh, touchdown early, and then they're just going to run the ball right down Carolina's throats, pick up, you know, a field goal. And just be pretty complacent. They're walking off into the sunset with a you know low scoring but dominating defensive victory. So Matt Rule drops to one and twenty eight now when opponents score seventeen or more. Correct? Yeah, I want to hand him that twenty eight though. I'll All be right. responsible. I'm with you on that. I, I think we'll be adding one more to the loss column in that stat for Matt Rule. I have it a little higher scoring. I'm going twenty four to nine, San Francisco in this game, but still the uh, under safely hits. Under 39, the lowest under of the week, as you mentioned. Um, if you've been paying attention, bet unders and 49er games, uh, you're going to make some money that way. Uh, keep it up in this one. 24-9 is the final score I got. Niners over the Panthers. I do not think it's going to be all that close. Three field goals for Carolina. Christian McCaffrey will be good, but not great. He will not get into the end zone. Baker Mayfield will not throw a touchdown. He'll probably throw an interception, maybe two. Who knows? Uh, but the four Danners win comfortably. And for the first time, they will win consecutive games in 2022. And they will win consecutive games by identical scores is what you're saying. I, you know what? I didn't even think about that, but yeah, 24, nine. That's it's, exactly it's the, what they beat the, the Rams with. The, the lucky number. That's, that's the target for the 49ers. Gosh, now you got me thinking, I want to go back and see when was the last time they won or just even had a game with an identical score. Uh, but That'll just about do it for this episode. We're going to pick up next time on Monday. Hopefully we'll be able to go through the, the, you know, the identical score of if that's even a thing and try and pick out some results. for We'll, you. we'll have to start a, a Twitter account, identical score of you know, an offshoot of just the normal NFL score of Yeah. We'll, we'll certainly give them their credit. You know, we, we, <laughs> it, it's all copyright here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, we are very much look for very much looking forward to it. Uh, these are rented lips, by the way. So the 49ers are taking on the Carolina Panthers, hoping to move on beyond 500 to three and two, as Mark said, when back to back games this year. Um, we appreciate you tuning in. Go download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. As always, I am on social media at eGettings10. Mark is on social media at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. Grandy, thank you so much, sir. Yes, you too, Evan. Let's uh, should be a fun game on Sunday, and we'll catch up again on Monday. All right, sounds good. Talk to you guys on Monday. In the meantime, enjoy the weekend. This is the Four One Fivers podcast. <laughs> <laughs>